It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. We observe today not a victory of party, but a celebration of freedom. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The Human Zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham. Stand to attention when I'm talking to you! On Talk Radio. Dismiss! Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Can anyone believe it is actually July already? Wimbledon has started and the plastic-free Glastonbury Festival is in the midst of another giant clean-up clean up of, um, that's right, plastic. Virtue signalling has been at an all-time high this weekend thanks to the likes of Stormzy preaching grimy culture to loads of people just like him. Sir David Attenborough promoting his latest BBC programme about the planet and thousands of climate change activists promising to save the world by using gallons of sunscreen and taking bucket loads of... Of drugs. Oh yeah, and Wimbledon's on so we can all pretend to really, really love tennis for a fortnight. Back in the real world things aren't getting any better I'm afraid both Boris Johnson and Jeremy Hunt are vowing to give money away in the event they get the keys to number 10 Downing Street Hunt says he'll find 20 billion quid to stop companies from going bust in the case of a no deal Brexit and Boris reckons the public sector could do with some more cash as well Well isn't that marvellous? Where are they going to get all this money from that we don't actually have? Surely they're not going to find some way of taxing us without telling us, are they? We would have asked Jeremy Corby what he makes of it all, uh, but apparently he's not about at the moment. Instead, we'll be checking up with uh, Nick Dubois, former MP, special advisor uh, to Dominic Raab as well, and we'll be finding out just how that Nigel Farage rock star rally really did change the face of British politics. Did it really? The worry I've got is that anyone in their right mind would want to spend a sunny Sunday summer afternoon in a darkened room with Nigel Farage or any other politician for that matter 0344 499 1000 coming up later on we'll be asking you for your best excuses for getting out of things why the Church of England has suddenly got involved in social media with its own digital charter and why everyone's least favourite royal couple are at it again wasting taxpayers money they've got a copper bath I'm not joking 0344 499 1000 you're listening to me Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You know what to do. 03444991000. Now, despite the fact that I'm the president of the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, I'm not at all endorsing the cult of personality. I'm not saying to you that you have to listen to my radio show. Uh, you can listen to it if you want to listen to it. I don't expect you to put me on a pedestal. I don't expect you to think of me as some kind of new messiah. And I really don't expect you to think that everything I say is always true or always right. However, we do seem to be moving in that direction politically, do we not? When you watch the big rally that took place over the weekend uh, with Nigel Farage and about 5,000-odd people uh, in a massive tent or in a massive theatre, whatever it was, you start to think to yourself, this is a bit weird, isn't it? What on earth is going on? It's not a rock concert. They're playing loud rock music. They're all waving around uh, these glow sticks as if it's some kind of Glastonbury-style event. We give Glastonbury people a hard time for all being uh, guilty of what you might describe as groupthink and how we have to save the planet because we all have to think the same way. And if you don't like the way we think, then you must be a horrible, evil, nasty person. What on earth has happened to this country and individual thoughts and the thought process of choosing a political party because it's the most expedient way for you to live your life and the things that matter to you the most are represented the most by those individuals? Why on earth would you ever want to think that Nigel Farage or anybody else is the messiah? And I've got nothing against Nigel Farage here. My question is about the motivation of the people. Let's look to Dr Simon Usherwood, Deputy Director of the UK in a changing Europe. Simon, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Morning to you, Mike. I find it all slightly disturbing, this. I don't know whether I'm wrong to find it disturbing, whether I should be in admiration of all of these enthusiasts. I just feel that politics is not the place for this kind of idolatry. Well, I think it's, it's a two-edged sword, isn't it? On the one hand, you know, how often do people get excited about politics? You know, that crowd was very enthused. They all turned up. They weren't, you know, they weren't required to turn up and do this kind of thing. So in terms of kind of getting people interested in politics, you know, that at one level, that's a success. But as you say, the, the question is, you know, do people, how much they think about what it is that they've got uh, in front of them, what they're being offered by politicians? And, you know, that's true of the Brexit party, Nigel Farage, but it's true of every politician. Yeah, I suppose so. But we're just not used to it in this country. It does seem a bit un-British to me that you get that worked up. And, that, you know, we're not supposed to get too enthusiastic about anything, really. You know, we're slightly embarrassed about people who show outward signs of affection or outward signs of, of you know, kind of endorsement or anything like that. You know, it's, it's for the, uh, the more kind of, shall we say, romantic nations to get carried away like that, isn't it? Well, that's one way of looking at it, but at the same time, you know, it's <laughs> you clear can disagree. That you, see, it's fine. You, you do you do see more of these kind of things uh, across society, and you know, actually, the model that Nigel Farage is is taking is one that has worked very well for Donald Trump. It's worked very well, example, in Italy with the the Five Star Movement, where you know, one of the things that's really interesting about it is that the the people he doesn't have members in the in the party; he has uh, supporters. Uh, so they don't get uh, a say in how the party is run. So it's it's more like a, a business than a than a political party, as we has traditionally sure. understood it. But, but it's not. But it's not just limited to the the right side of politics, is it? Because you can you can make the same argument about Jeremy Corbyn. I mean, they're not quite so um, rampantly enthusiastic with Jeremy Corbyn, but the, quite a lot of them are when they're singing his name, chanting his name, you know, making it out as though he is the newest and greatest thing since sliced bread, when he's clearly just another kind of clubhouse politician of old. Exactly. And it's not uh, the preserve of any one part of, of the, the system. You know, everyone wants to show that they're 
getting people out there, getting people enthusiastic, you know, getting them, them worked up. Um, and, you know, the, 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 the question is always that tipping point. When does uh, uh, enthusiasm become too much? You know, when do people just sort of switch off their, their critical uh, thinking and just say, well, this is great fun and we'll just do it and, you know, to, to, to hell with the consequences. Mm. Uh, and, and what are the consequences? Because more and more of this that we see, and I'm sure we will see more and more of it as time goes on, um, the more polarising it becomes, isn't it? Well, it can be, but it doesn't have to be polarising. You know, it depends a bit on what the message is that's been sold. But the thing that works best in these kind of environments is simple messages. You know, I have the simple answers to the complicated problems that face us. And I think that's always the, the danger in politics is if someone's telling you that there's a simple answer... I'd always be very cautious because if, if, you know, politicians aren't out to make life complicated, you know, I know politicians get a bad rap uh, from pretty much everyone, but, you know, most of them, the very large majority of them are trying to do a good job. They're trying to make uh, things better for people. Um, but that isn't easy. You know, there's lots of different uh, factors to be kept in mind, lots of uh, interests that have to be kept on board. So simple answers tend not to be ones that, that work well in a, a way that's sustainable for the whole of society. And I think that's really where the, the danger is. You know, anyone who's got uh, some of those ads on the internet, you know, this one simple trick and you'll lose 30 pounds yeah. or, you know, you'll, you'll make a fortune. Uh, you know, that's uh, nonsense. And, and anyone who's telling you that in politics is probably also talking nonsense. But that's going to be the interesting thing to watch, won't it, as the Brexit party kind of uh, matures? Because as far as we know, uh, we've now got a possibility of 100 selected candidates which we uh, whose identities we don't yet know there's going to be 650 soon um there's going to have to be at some stage presumably a manifesto on what it is the brexit party stands for apart from brexit well not necessarily they did exceptionally well in the european elections last month without a manifesto you know the manifesto is going to come later well so that's that, my worry then so people are yeah. coagulating behind nigel farage without knowing what his policies are Exactly. I think you could get away with it in the European elections because it was, you know, there was a clear policy, which is the Brexit Party says, leave with no deal now, just be done with it. And that's, you know, what we're there for. In a general election, people have a whole range of different interests and things that they are concerned about, you know, health, education, welfare, uh, all of those kind of things. And so you are going to have to come up with a, a manifesto and you're also going to have to come up with names of people. That uh, One of the things that the party has really struggled with is because it's grown from nothing very quickly, uh, it's a, a capacity to make sure that the people it's attracting are not problematic in whatever way is very limited, you know, uh, uh, Farage had the same problem at, at UKIP uh, beforehand that, you know, you get these enthusiastic supporters who turned out to have said or done something not very nice in the past or even at the same time uh, and then had to be chaffed out. So he's keeping these people uh, away from that at this stage, but he wants to show that, it, that the party still matters. And, uh, and for me, well, So why announce that he's got candidates if it, nobody's actually asking him if he has? Oh, because he wants to show that he is ready for a general election. You know, there's uh, so much talk in Westminster these days about how the, the new prime minister, whenever he is chosen, is going to find out very quickly that he can't get his plans through uh, Parliament and that will trigger an early general election. Farage wants to show that he's there ready and waiting, that his agenda about Brexit is going to be pushed hard by him, you know, and he's going to try and capitalise on that success from before. Whether 
the general public is going to be as convinced by that, I, I think, is, is much more debatable. Mm. Um, but, you know, he, he wants to show that he's, he's still a force to be reckoned with. And in a general election, if you have Boris Johnson, Nigel Farage and Jeremy Corbyn as the three sort of front runners, if you like, because I don't know who the Lib Dems are going to have in charge, but it won't be anybody of that kind of character, um, it's going to be all about the individuals, isn't it? Well, politics generally has become more about the individuals, which is you know, paradoxical in our, our system, which is very much about MPs and having that direct link. Um, but, yeah, it, you know, the personality issue is going to become more of a, a, a part of it. Um, you know, but also we've got a, a real issue that at the moment public opinion seems to be all over the place. We've got uh, lots of uh, contenders for who matters and who's relevant. You know, the Lib Dems... Uh, are right up there in the mix as well at the moment. So, uh, you know, politics might be in for some very interesting and uh, consequential debates in the, in the coming yeah, weeks. Yeah, and many of them will be had on this very show. Simon, thank you very much indeed. Dr Simon Usherwood, Deputy Director of UK in a Changing Europe. And it's a fascinating situation, really. Um, and, of course, as ever, on Twitter uh, and on social media, you can find any number of people to argue with. You can find any number of people to take offence at what you say. You can find any number of people to be outraged because you've said something in particular. Let me remind you, we live in a democracy uh, and everybody has a view. And if you want to make that view known, you know what to do. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Lots more to come. Loads and loads of people uh, to talk to over the course of the next couple of hours. Matthew Wright coming up, of course, at one o'clock. This is Talk Radio. The Human Zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If I can apologize for being wrong, then it's just a shame on me. I'll be the reason for your pain, and you can put the blame on me. You can put the blame on me. You can put the blame on me. You can put the blame This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You know what to do. 03444991000. Now, if you've ever made an excuse to get out of something that you really didn't want to do. Uh, you will join millions and millions of people up and down the land who have done exactly the same. Uh, however, uh, apparently now, uh, the best thing to do uh, is just blame somebody else. Just get rid of your guilt, just get rid of your uh, bad feeling and your ill feeling uh, by telling everybody else that it was someone else's fault that you didn't do something. A couple of quick tweets for you, though. Sam says, about Farage and pop celebrity, have you forgotten Blair's 1997 things can only get better or even Kinnock's 1992 rallies? Well, uh, I can remember those very well and they were very similar kind of uh, situations where they tried to make much of the individual and less about the party. Uh, and Morning says, I think the con continued momentum for the Brexit party is that we know full well that Parliament will yet again stymie no-deal Brexit and a general election will be called. Well, that may well happen. But let's talk to Professor Sir Carrie Cooper uh, up in Manchester. I'm trying to think of an excuse not to mention what his full title is because it's very, very long. Uh, Professor Sir Carrie, very good morning to you. Welcome. Uh, good morning to you, Mike. Now, I'm going to read your, your title out and then you can tell me how I could please excuse myself from doing it ever again. Professor <laughs> of, Professor of Organisational Psychology at Manchester Business School at the University of Manchester. That you is got a, it. That is one mouthful and a half. I, tell I you. know it is, isn't it? You've got to get it shortened for radio appearances. <laughs> but listen, I yeah, mean, we all make we, we, for me. We, that's fine, mate. We we all make excuses, and oh, sometimes, um, you know, white lies become bigger lies, and sometimes we probably shouldn't make excuses. We should just be straight with people. But but kind of ex excuse making really is about politeness, isn't it? In the end, yeah, it is about politeness. So, say for instance something else comes up, which it, if from your point of view, say it at work, which is a higher priority, right? You don't want to actually say to the person that you're canceling the appointment with that I can't make it, 
uh, because I have something more important to do. Can yes. you imagine? Well, exactly. You, don't, you wouldn't say that. In a way, it's a white lie. You're saying, I'm sorry, you know, uh, my tooth is gone and I have to go to the dentist. Right. You know, you, you make any excuse rather than telling him the truth. It would probably be better if you were pretty honest, but you would still probably hurt the other person. Yes. Because in effect, what you're saying is, hey, listen, you're less, you're less significant to me. You're not a high priority. That other thing's a higher priority. But guess what? That's life. Well, that is That's life. And, and, and I mean, unfortunately, sometimes um, it's the fact that you've turned them down in the first place rather than the excuse or that you've, you've not turned them down in the first place, you've turned them down later. That, that is what upsets them more than the actual excuse itself. I think, right. If, if at the beginning you said, you know, you say, well, you know, I got this, I have nothing in my diary that day. It's not a high priority for me, but I'll say yes. Mm. And then something else comes up and then you bump them. Right. I think that's that's probably not good. Having children, having children is, is a great excuse, isn't it? I mean, because you can basically make oh, up yeah, everything yeah. about your kids. You know, I've got to yeah, go to yeah, parents' yeah, evening. Got my... I've got, you know, one of my kids is sick. You know, anything. Yeah, yeah, or my daughter's working today and I have to look after the grandkids. Yeah. I mean, come on, there's a whole host of ones you can do. You know, leaves on the line stuff. You know, <laughs> I can't make it in. Sorry about that. Yeah. There's a problem with the trains. There's always a problem with the trains anyway, so that's a nice one. I mean, we ought to have really some kind of popularity contract. What are the best excuses you can give? Have you? What are the best excuses you've, you've heard? I won't put you on the spot for actually having to make any, but you must have heard a few in your time. Hey, but you know what I did? I was on, I was on a virgin train once. Hmm. I'll never forget this. And the guy says, the train's late because it's going slow. <laughs> and I thought to myself, you know what? Technically not That's an excuse. I mean, there was nothing on the line, no problems. The train is late because it's late, it's right. going slow. And I thought to myself, well, at least the guy's honest about it. Well, it's a little you bit know, like Dominic Raab. When Dominic Raab was asked why um, he would drop, he was dropping out of the, or he had dropped out of the leadership race for the Tory party. Yeah. Uh, and he said, because I didn't get enough votes, which is absolutely right. <laughs> which, you know. is, which is pretty good, which is true. Mm, yeah, exactly. It's, it's great. But, I, I mean, think... you, you work with a lot of students who are, who are congenital liars, right? I mean, they're always messing oh, things yeah, up. Oh, excuses and, about why they haven't had yeah, why the Yeah, why the homework's not been done. Else. I why... haven't really heard any very innovative ones. Mm. I mean, if they were innovative, then that would be great. I'd probably say, yeah, just because you came up with a really creative solution to this problem of why you haven't got your work in, Forget it. You can have an extra week. Right. But I haven't heard anything very novel. No, you well, know, this, I've had this, very, this, I've had the flu I'm in bed. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, this, you get the, the regular, my car broke down, I couldn't get in. Right. I mean, there's a whole load of, you know, you get that you get that all the time. I mean, is there any evidence to suggest, and this is from a study from a, a, a sort of psychology colleague of yours at Cambridge, yeah. um, which is basically called the Good Intention Account. She claims to be, Dr. Paulina Sliwa, claims to be an expert in moral psychology and philosophy of the mind. I've never um, heard of that one. Uh, no, well, that's, no, that's indeed. even bigger than my title. Well, it is, but I mean, that's why we got you on, because your title's <laughs> slightly shorter. But the point is, right, <laughs> that's another excuse. But okay, the point, good. I but, like that one. But the point is that, you know, um, it's a bit obvious, really, this, isn't it? She's basically saying the most effective excuses are those where you explain that you had the right intention, but something stops you from being able to finish the job. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Or it's somebody else's fault. Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. You know, it was my PA didn't get the date right. Right. Yes. You know, you can, always, you can always blame somebody else as well for it. Isn't there a problem with that, though? That surely lead, leads you into sort of moral turpitude I it, agree. if you start behaving like that. You know, the best thing to do in life, I think, is just to be honest. The, the, the difficulty is a lot of us 
arrange to do things with people. And then something, the, the critical thing is something more important comes up. Yeah. And by the way, the more important might not be that this person is less important, but for example, say a kid of mine, a grandkid of mine, I have six grandkids under eight. Say one of them gets ill and my daughter's yeah. a criminal lawyer and just go to court, right? And it's desperate because her partner's somewhere, her husband's right. somewhere else. Right. Well, you know, I mean, I, 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 I wish I could just say, you know, but it's not work-related, and yet I'm letting somebody down for a work-related thing. So I think it's just a question. It would be nice just to be relatively honest about it, without, but then you have to make the judgment call, am I hurting their feelings? Am I making them feel less valuable? And sometimes maybe a white lie isn't such a bad idea. I think a white lie is always a good idea, to be honest, because uh, there are certain things that I've done in my life that, quite frankly, I couldn't have admitted to at the time. And if I had done, my life would have got even more rocky and crazy than it was already. I know, I know. I, I think the white lies are right, <laughs> as long as you don't tell too many of them and you don't get caught. What if you get caught making an excuse? What do you do then? What <laughs> do you dead. do then? What's the there's best no, policy? No way is the best it, policy... Then. No, well, you see, there's an interesting one, this, because you can be caught out by somebody who's suspicious, right? Or you can be caught out by somebody who knows that you're telling a lie. If they're not quite there, is it not better to stay the stay the 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 the, the path and just continue the, with the lie? Well, it depends who you're talking about, the context of that, <laughs> and how important that well, relationship if, is. If to you. The, who the that police, relationship? I'm... The relationship is a critical thing. Yeah. Do you want to maintain the relationship? And maybe sometimes you just have to own up and say, you know, rather than just keep digging a hole, you just say, you know what, I'm sorry about that, but this came up. And to be honest with you, I needed to do that. That was really important. I shouldn't have lied to you. I should have told you the truth or something. Sometimes just being honest. I mean, it would be nice if we heard politicians say honest things. You know, from time to time, just being open and, and honest about things. However, like you say, you know, we're trying to... <laughs> In a sense, we're doing this to protect other people, not just ourselves. Well, that's the Boris Johnson defence now we're getting into, isn't it? You know, that he doesn't want to bring his loved ones into the argument, so therefore he doesn't want to talk about how he rows with them all the time. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true, which absolutely. Is an, which is an interesting way of defending yourself. Yeah, it is yourself. a very interesting one. Fascinating stuff. All right, Professor, thank you so much, as ever. Professor Sakari Cooper, once again, uh, for those of you who didn't hear it the first time, Professor of Organisational Psychology at Manchester Business School at the University of Manchester. Uh, we've got lots more to come. Loads of you want to get on, and you will get on. We've got plenty of time. We're here until 1 o'clock, 0344 499 1000. Coming up uh, in the next hour, though, we're going to be talking uh, about a great many things, including Meghan Markle and Harry. Because guess what? The least favourite royal couple in the country now want to have a proper private christening for little baby Archie, right? Nobody's allowed in apart from their best friends. Who knows who the godmother and godfather are going to be? Is it going to be Oprah Winfrey? Is it going to be George Clooney? And guess what else they've got? A £5,000 copper bath. These are the people that want to continue to take millions and millions of pounds of taxpayers' money and have a private life. Really. Do me a small favour. Uh, 0344-499-1000 is the number. We'll take loads more of your calls. Coming up next... Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. 
Ashley, for the love of home. A mid-morning dance with the devil. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You know what to do. 03444991000 is the number. We're here all week, 10 to 1. Matthew Wright here, of course, uh, also all week from 1. Pete says, Harry and Meghan's PR advisors have messed up badly. Either represent the UK and be paid for it, or disappear into privacy and take no taxpayer funding. Well, that's my point absolutely, Pete. You've obviously been listening to me over the course of months because they shouldn't be taking public money if they don't wish to have any part of their lives made public. And if they do want to stay private, that's perfectly fine but just disappear. Do not live in some grace and favour 10-bedroom mansion in uh, Windsor and don't expect the public purse to finance your improvements and your copper baths and all the rest of it. Uh, the Brexit Party rally, says Mark, in Birmingham was fun and it appeals to younger people too. Great. Listen, I'm not concerned about people having fun in politics. I'm not concerned about people being enthusiastic about politics. I'm not concerned even that Nigel Farage is becoming a bit of a cult of personality. I'm just a bit worried about the people that think that he He's going to have all the answers because he's not. Let's talk to Berthold, who's in Cambridgeshire. Hello, Berthold. Hello. How are you? Hello, Mike. <laughs> all right, fine. Good Thank to you. talk. Good to talk to you again. What do you want to tell me? Well, Mike, I I, I slightly disagree with you okay. on this fact uh, with Farage. Right. The simple reason is Farage has given a unique ability to the public, which we know had before. Mm. And number one, he says it as it is. He tells the truth, which is a very unusual for a politician. And secondly, he has actually given us the, po- uh, the possibility to actually uproot the whole Westminster, um, well, sewage pack, I would say. Because <laughs> you want to say drain the swamp, but you've stolen it then, haven't you? Well, not quite, because the, the fact of the matter is, is that two-party political system, in my opinion, has ruined this country. Every time the Tories go in, they knock everything over, blah, 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 and the, uh, vice versa. It has cost this country absolute fortunes. But one of the reasons, of Berthold, that we got here is because people got fed up with the fact that the, ta- the Labour Party and the Tory Party were almost the, exactly the same. When Tony Blair and David Cameron were both in charge, you couldn't tell the difference. That's true, and I, I totally agree with you on that. But what I'm saying is, is what we need to do as a public is we need to uproot this two-party system from Westminster because it is not serving the country. And if it means we're going to have to force another hung parliament to force the MPs to work together, so be it. Listen, all of that is fine, Bertold, but you don't need to necessarily elevate the person who is leading the party to some kind of godlike status, though, do you? Well, I don't think people do, but if you, if you think about it, Nigel is unique in that respect because nobody else on the political scene has given us the freedom to actually achieve that. No, but the only other person in recent memory who has had that kind of adulation, I'm afraid, is Jeremy Corbyn. And look how that turned out. Yeah, well, Jeremy Corbyn was basically the hope of some Labour supporters yeah. that it would return to the old Labour because the new Labour was obviously 
total nonsense. Yes, it was only electable Labour Party in history of Labour Party. But Bertolt, listen, thank you very much indeed. Very, very uh, good news that people are disagreeing with some of the things I say, because I don't want to be the sort of Nigel Farage figure of talk radio that everybody agrees with all the time. I know I make the most sense of anybody who's on talk radio, but that doesn't necessarily mean there won't be parts of what I say that you will disagree with, and you're perfectly willing and welcome to do that. Let's now talk to Grant Herald, a man who's very agreeable indeed and who agrees very often with some of the things that I say. Grant, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning, sir. I always agree with you. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. I know. It's a wonderful <laughs> thing, isn't it? Now, you will have heard us touching upon uh, Harry mm. and Meghan there before we mm. get onto the subject of tweeting yeah. in anger. Uh, yeah. You, obviously, as the royal butler, uh, know <laughs> plenty about this. Have you ever been inside Frogmore uh, Cottage? Or I it's called? haven't. I haven't. And, look, you know, I, I think what's really difficult, as you can imagine, a lot of friends and family have said, how obviously disappointed or angry they are about the, the, the money, and I'm not going to try to say it's, it's, it's you know right by any means. I, I think you know when when money when it's public money and everything, the, the royal family have always been well in the past and normally kind of careful as to where it goes and what's mm. spent. I think on this occasion, it's, it's one of those things where mm, that's quite a lot of money, um, and I only know that because I've been looking at properties myself recently, so I I know that's a lot of money. Um, and I think as I my kind of the only thing I said about it is when they. Re- out these reports, I think what's really important going forward is that when money has been spent, public money, obviously, it needs to be really well detailed exactly where that money's gone and why is yes. it? That's what we're saying. Why is it 2.5 million? Is there a reason for that? And I think that's, they just need to be a little bit more transparent. That, that's just how I kind of feel about it. Yes, but, um, and if it turns out they have spent £5,000 of our money on a copper bath, then I'd quite <laughs> like to have a go in it, please, if I can. Well, I think, I think we'll all be queuing up what's ever going it to see what it's like. <laughs> Somehow I think there'll be a huge queue. Have you ever seen um, such, a, such a device? I haven't, but... I, now, where did I read somewhere? I remember reading somewhere about a home somewhere that had a gold lure uh, installed. And, and, I, and I thought, why would you want, I, I would even want a gold? I, it does, I, I think it's safe to say that in all my time working with the Royal Family, I'd never seen such a thing. So just to reassure the public, no. there's no gold lures there. But I read somewhere that some millionaire wanted to have a gold It'll be lure. some kind of Saudi Arabian prince or something. I'm, 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 the thing. Sure, I'm quite happy with my very basic standard one. Well, me too. Absolutely <laughs> right. As long as it's not avocado <laughs> uh, back to the 70s. But let's talk about... Uh, Thou shalt not tweet in anger is a headline uh, in the Times yes. today. Justin Welby, yes. the Archbishop of Canterbury, has decided to draw up a digital charter. Um, mm. Now, I don't suppose anyone would disagree with any of it, but is it any of their business what I tweet? Do you know, it's, it's a really interesting one because this has become a, a debate in recent years where we've seen people get in trouble for it, haven't they? Accounts being shut down, people get told off, um, people... I put things up, and, and ho- I hope that a lot of the things I've put I don't try to offend people, but I do, as you know, Mike, I do a lot of etiquette, kind of traditional etiquette, and people sometimes get a bit uh, upset by them. You mm. know, the older, the older rules, and they are old rules. And I'm not trying to upset people, but at the same time, you think, well, these are fun, informative facts and you, you kind of think there's got to be a point where I'm not going to be silly and, and hopefully put something that's going to intensely offend people but there has to be a bit of, of kind of give or take and I, a lot of what I do is kind of old-fashioned humour and I think it's important that you know when people putting things up don't always read too much too much into them I mean the only thing that I have said on social media is that when it's um kind of personal conversations of arguments um, depending on what those are it's especially I'm talking more private you know between the, the mm. husband the wife or the, the partners whatever you know those are kind of you don't necessarily have those kind of things on public social media because then all your friends and family know but there is of course arguments and debates that people have online for, for good reason because they're, they're discussion points so I think there's still got to be a freedom of speech 
but obviously there's a way a way you do it and there's obviously things you say and things you don't. It's it's a really tricky one. It I really think. is. And I mean, of course, as you would expect, I've researched this thoroughly before looking yeah. into it. And I've <laughs> noticed that the Archbishop of Canterbury is quite happy to retweet Al Jazeera uh, as ah, some stories ah. that they do. Now, I'm not going to ask you to give me an absolute and utter verdict on Al Jazeera. <laughs> um, but, you know, that is not necessarily... I mean, this is an organisation which I think has been outlawed in the United States of America. Mm. Uh, they closed down their office in London because uh, mm -hmm. they don't uh, have really an audience here. So it's unusual for somebody like him to pick such a controversial yeah. outlet, yeah. isn't it? it it's, it's, a, it's a funny one. So sometimes I've, I've done tweets or I've, I've, I've sent, somebody said something to me about an ethical subject or a butler thing, and I've gone back and responded and interacted with them. And then somebody said, do you realise that you're, you're interacting with, I don't know, somebody that's either... You, can I get a bad reputation mm. or, or, or something? But I don't automatically, because I, I, I must confess, I don't always, maybe I should, I don't always do the research. But I would have thought that, obviously, with the Archbishop of Canterbury, that's a different thing. I'm sure they do. Well, exactly. And also, you're not research. you're not the Archbishop of, no, of or no, the, he, the head of the Church of England, <laughs> and you're also not advocating that other people should have some kind of behaviour test no, on Twitter, you know? No, no, not at all, not at all. So I think this is, what, you know, this is the thing. People have got to kind of be careful what, what you're saying, who you're interacting with. And also, the other part of it is, is I'm really lucky that I'm, I've got some very good friends who are very good. They do check what I put up because sometimes I put things up and not intentionally. They, they, come, out, they come out the wrong way around. Yes. I'm, I'm dyslexic. I've even put things up. And if I can give you a, a demonstration, we, I had somebody come in for, for dinner um, who's actually a friend of the, of the royal family as well. And I was very excited they were coming to my home for dinner. So I put up a tweet and said, looking forward to entertaining this, this person, her name's Emma, said, looking forward to entertaining Emma this evening. And suddenly my phone was ringing off the hook. I was getting <laughs> messages and everyone kind of saying, take the tweet down, take the tweet down. And I thought, what on earth have I said? Why? And without going into too much detail, basically, instead of saying entertaining, I put entering. Ah. So I had to very quickly... Well, I mean, to be honest, I would have picked you up on that one. In fact, <laughs> no, Emma, I'm surprised but... Emma turned up. Well, luckily, luckily, she saw the funny thing. I was mortified. I was ready to put a public apology. <laughs> um, but it does show you that sometimes a genuine mistake, not always, but a genuine mistake can be made. And thankfully, the people, the good people around the world will suddenly say, wait a minute, you've got that wrong. And then the other side to this is, I don't know if, if many of the listeners have experienced this, being dyslexic, I do sometimes miss out the apostrophes. I'm very bad at well, the Well, I pick people up on that, I know, and, 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 and many of them say that they're dyslexic when they've actually just well, made a mistake. Well, as long as they are, you know, I think the thing is you've got to... Gen I mean, I'm, I'm, with, I'm actually really lucky to be ambassador of British dyslexia, and, and so they, thankfully they know my plight. Um, but I think the same thing, you, you've got to be a bit of kind of give and take. But I I'm still think it's important, because I have friends that will say, Grant, and they'll give me the advice of where I've maybe spelt something wrong. And I, I do appreciate it because I don't want to be putting things out that are, are wrong. Um, and sometimes they'll say to me, don't worry about it, but it's just this is how it comes across. So mm. it's back to that, what you're putting out there, whether it's whatever it might be, you've always just got to really think about it because you can't, well, you can take it back, but the chances are that most of the most of your followers have seen it. <laughs> too so, late. Is it the first 30 seconds or something? I know. They see, the, they see it, so it's a bit too late to do anything about it. Is. It is. Well, luckily we've now got guidance from above from the Archbishop of Canterbury, but uh, Grant, thank you very much indeed. Grant Howard, the Royal Butler there, uh, with his view of the, I think there's at least five commandments now in the digital sort of uh, uh, instructions manual coming from the Church of England. Digital commandments uh, such as, speak to others online as you would speak to them in person and treat them as you would want them to treat you.
as my father always used to add on to that, and do it first. Uh, this is Talk Radio. More gun talk from a water pistol from the Farmer of Fury. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Gray. Matthew Wright coming up at 1 o'clock. 0344 499 1000. You know what to do to get on here before uh, the end of the show at 1 o'clock. We were here all week, of course, as well. We'll be talking about James Bond coming up. Believe it or not, the new movie's been hit by yet another setback, even though they were filming, apparently, in central London uh, over the course of the weekend. Now, a man uh, who I will not be surprised to hear might have uh, a bit of a, a throaty sort of growl because he's been at Blastonbury all weekend. Mr Mark Dolan joins us now, comedian raconteur, uh, friend of the Plastic Free Society merchants. Uh, Mark, <laughs> very good afternoon to you. Uh, good afternoon, Mike. I'm still sobering up. I'm still detoxing. My <laughs> liver is inflated. My yes. eyes are puffy. I was basically five days of solid drinking. It's 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 like your, uh, that little window of your career when you worked in Fleet Street. Yeah. You know, I'm just from one... No, note, five days of solid drinking pretty much describes my last week. Uh, and in fact, <laughs> then followed by three days of solid drinking over the weekend, it was a bit of an, a bit of an over a bit of an overindulging uh, scenario. But were you? Did you get sunburnt? Uh, yeah, sunburnt, dehydrated. Yeah. Uh, I mean, all of those things. Uh, you know, it's just like par for the course. We obviously weren't prepared uh, for the incredible weather. Everyone always thinks Glastonbury is going to be a mud bath. Yes, but uh, maybe one of the you know plus. Well, you're supposed to be climate, climate change activists, <laughs> don't you know yeah. that well, the climate's changing? <laughs> That's right, dry Glastonbury. So you know, what I mean, it's not great for right. the uh, not not great for the environmentalists. I mean, it's really interesting. Obviously, um, the press have picked up on the fact that a colossal mess was left behind after another as it, uh, as it always extravaganza. Is. Yeah, and um, actually, the figure for last year, uh, sort of two years ago, because they had a fallow year last year, which means they let the kind of land recover a bit. So yeah. it, it didn't happen last year, but 2017. It was almost a million pounds, just the clean-up operation, which is, I mean, more or less a scandal, really. Yes. Um, but I've got to say, I wouldn't really um, blame the organisers, because the thing about Glastonbury is it's, it's really, if you think about it, quite miraculous how over 200,000 people can party like crazy for five days. Um, and for there to be so little trouble, I mean, look at the Notting Hill Carnival. That's minuscule by comparison in terms of numbers. And yet it's like a war zone every year. So Glastonbury, really, what they achieve is to accommodate that many people um, and you know, in relative safety. Well, that's because they're all middle class, law abiding white people from Islington. <laughs> Well, I don't know. I mean, I think it's a nice mix. What I love about it is that it's young and old. It's all classes. Obviously, there's a bit of a political element to it, although there was very little, oh, Jeremy Corbyn this year. So it wasn't only the plastic bottles that were banned. Yeah, I think, that, like that, I think that, that ship has sailed, I think, hasn't it? Now it's F. Boris, isn't it, with Stormzy? Well, that's it. And so the bottom line is those photographs um, in, in the papers today of uh, bottles and debris, but they are true. And I'm afraid that really is still a reflection on us as a sort of society that, you know, whilst people are so happy to preach an environmental message, when push comes to shove, they drop that bottle on the floor, they drop that aluminium can, of course. and I witnessed it myself, you know. And it well, was, I'm told there was, a, there was a special co-op on site, uh, which yeah. uh, specialised yeah. in selling tubs of hummus uh, covered in cling film <laughs> and plastic, and there was all manner of uh, fruits yeah. and vegetables on yeah. display, which were also covered in plastic, and an awful lot of the plastic waste came from there. 
Well, that's right. And in some ways, you could say that Glastonbury is a sort of reflection, really, of the problem we have generally. I think the bottom line is that, you know, in our metropolitan areas, um, we have so many wonderful people who clean up after us all the time. Um, and the bin men and the, and the lorries and, and everything else, the litter collection is, is a big thing in our cities. And I suppose it's only when you stick a bunch of people in a field for five days that you see the actual you know, evidence of how much packaging is involved. Mm. I mean, it, to their credit, and I don't want to be an apologist for the Glastonbury organisers, but the bottom line is that you could not buy a, a plastic bottle of water. It was actually impossible. And that's um, why you're so dehydrated. <laughs> correct. Yeah. I mean, there but wasn't, I, I mean, that, you know, do you remember yeah. when we didn't have bottles of water? I mean, I very well remember when I saw the yeah. first bottle of water in my life and it was being carried by a very, very elegant-looking supermodel walking down Manhattan <laughs> High Street. Uh, she was walking down Park Avenue South and it wasn't Christy Brinkley, but it was somebody like her. And she yeah. had this bottle yeah. of Evian water and I was like, what on earth is that? And before that, we never had bottles of water, right? It was well, invented no, by somebody who wanted to make a load of money selling us water, which actually falls oh. from the sky. That is absolutely right. And that is another conversation for mm. another time, which is how the drinks industry have got behind this idea that we need about two litres of water a day. It's complete nonsense. You have this mechanism called thirst, which tells you when you're thirsty yeah. and you should just follow that and you'll be a lot better. But yeah, so I do agree with that. And I think um, so. there was a lot of mess, but I think it was better. I mean, the figure of, of how fewer bottles is about a million. So that is progress. But in the end, it's up to the individuals to take responsibility. I mean, yeah. I don't know whether you can blame drunkenness or what, but we are, I'm afraid, still very hypocritical in terms of what we say and what we do. But interestingly as well, I don't think anyone cares what people get up to when they go to Glastonbury. Nobody uh, gives a stuff whether they take drugs all weekend uh, or you know sleep yeah. with as many people as possible uh, or just dance about and enjoy themselves. It's when they start telling it's us how like to behave. It's almost like you were following me. Yeah, well, exactly. Yes. Yeah, well, I've been asked to follow you, but by... no, I'm not going to tell you why. But, I mean, here's the thing. The point is, the bottom line is that we don't like being told what to do. And I don't like Sir David Attenborough getting up on stage to promote his new show, yeah. which is precisely yeah. what he was doing, and telling us all yeah. that you've made it a plastic-free Glastonbury, which is patently a lie. It wasn't plastic-free. Well, I free. do agree. I do agree, and I massively agree with you that no individual is some sort of godlike uh, entity, including David Attenborough, who's a brilliant broadcaster, but he's no more than that. He's not a walking saint. No. And um, I think actually in some ways um, we're missing the point if we are too self-flagellating about the environment here in the West. But Britain is one of the cleanest countries in the world. Well over half of our uh, energy is now from renewables and we're, we're heading, you know, eventually to 100 percent. And ultimately, if you're going to have the climate change guys um, attack someone uh, rather than the chancellor making his mansion house speech, um, go to China. Uh, go to India, mm. go to Brazil, um, where you're looking at environmental pollution on a colossal scale. Yeah, on and an industrial, a danger, and me know. mega industrial scale. I mean, I said to, to yeah. somebody after that Attenborough performance that, you know, people will be watching his new show on loads of televisions made out of plastic. And somebody tweeted me back saying, <laughs> oh, yeah, but we don't throw televisions in the sea. Uh, to which I said, well, I don't throw anything in the sea. How does anything ever get into the sea? You know, people have a yeah. vast yeah. and ridiculous misunderstanding of how the sea gets polluted. No, I do agree with you. And I think one um, thing that's going to help is I think if business um, gets behind uh, the, the environment, then that will help us as citizens, you know, because there's only so much we can do as an individual. So I, for example, got a coffee this morning in central London. I brought, I was a good boy. I brought, I still with the vial. Oh, you see, now you've run out of energy because you, you're, you're, uh, you're, you're not recycling it properly. 
Are you back? Well, it's probably. There you but, go. But basically, I had, I had, I'm back in the room. You're back I in the room. Over the, I hope I handed over a, a, a previously used coffee cup, which they looked at like I'd handed them something that a dog had just produced. You know what I mean? It was, it was quite, they're quite contempt, contemptful, if I'm honest. Yeah. Um, and I said, yeah, can you just put a, put a latte in there for me? So I watched how they did it. And they used a, a brand new cup to prepare a latte. Yeah. And then they put that, the contents of that cup into my cup. Right. And then threw away their own. So I mean, that's crazy, isn't it? Obviously, it's like this ridiculous idea that you're supposed to, in some way, wash everything before you recycle it. By which point, you've used up the point of recycling it by using up all the water to wash it before you recycle it. <laughs> well, it is exactly. You know, it's incoherent. Um, I, for example, found out recently that it takes a vast amount more energy to make a one of those groovy cotton bags which are by the way available 10 a penny at the glastonbury festival sponsored by the guardian um and they they are actually in their own way a, a big environmental headache because apparently cotton is not very uh, easy to produce without loads of water i mean i can't keep up mike i'm just gonna have another pint i tell you one thing i can which is very encouraging for you and your listeners <laughs> how did you get in and out of glastonbury <laughs> first of all before you go any further into your private life how did you get there and back Oh, well, um, I'm afraid. Well, in a Prius. So I guess that is maybe a compromise. You know, that's that's my guilt assuaged slightly oh, yeah. for having a car. Okay. But, um, but, but yeah, I bet you had to use the, the petrol part of the engine, though, didn't you? Of course I did. Yeah. Are you kidding? Absolutely. And, yeah. and, you know, I'm, look, that's it. I, I dare not. People in glass houses and all that. And I would never um, really preach in the way that so many do, because I know that I'll get found out after 11 seconds of hypocrisy. And yeah. it is, you know, it's very, very difficult. But I could, with a really good piece of news, which is you couldn't buy plastic bottles of water. So that was positive. Um, the biggest problem is coffee cups, because coffee cups, um, they are a mixture of paper and plastic, and they can't really be recycled. Glastonbury or anywhere else, and you need hydration. Get one of those beer cups yeah. that you'll get like at a football stadium because they don't require uh, the thermal properties of a coffee cup and they are biodegradable. So you've got a pint, it goes in the ground. How about an old-fashioned thermos flask that you just use forever? Which is what, showing our age, we grew up with. Yeah, right? absolutely. What's wrong with that? And we turned out all right. Well, some of us did. Apart from maybe a bit of the mercury in the lining <laughs> might have affected our brains. Mike. I don't I'm think so. Sure. I don't think so. Anyway, <laughs> when are you back on talk radio? That's more important. Oh, well, that's very nice of you. Do you know what? I'm actually going to pull an all-nighter Friday and Saturday night. I have the privilege of entertaining your audience and many others Tremendous. Um, from one till five. I'm massively looking forward to it. Superb. Look forward to it. Mark, thanks very much indeed. Mark Dolan survived another Glastonbury for another year, uh, but admits he's a hypocrite. Why can't they all just do that and make life a lot easier? We wouldn't have to have a go at them on Twitter all weekend. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.